just like that, he was a V-neck in the wind. <laughs> so you have to lick Cora and throw up in her mouth a little bit. Nature is beautiful. Oh man, for a hot second, I forgot that the timeline is figgity f- How could you forget that? My late wife was very kinky. R.I.P. Victoria. Rest in kink. <laughs> I'm not Patrick bateman in this. I am just Jason Voorhees in this into your face. Right. Just being able to find so much joy in Teen Wolf. Welcome to Return to Beacon Hills, a Teen Wolf Rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Will Wallace, and I'm joined by... Melissa Mullis. And Kate Colvin. Every week we'll be watching and talking about the hit MTV series one episode at a time. And this week we're talking about season three, episode 11, Alpha Pact. If you're watching Teen Wolf for the first time and you're worried about spoilers, have no fear. This podcast is broken up into two sections, Alpha and Beta. The Beta section is for first timers who are just now finding this awesome series and don't want to be spoiled about what's to come. The second section, Alpha, is where we go full spoilers and talk about not just the current episode, but the entire Teen Wolf series, as well as its place in the fandom. In the show notes of your podcast app of choice, you'll find time codes for the alpha and beta sections. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon at RTBH Podcast. There, our Wolfie patrons will gain access to awesome exclusives like early access to episodes, full moon AMAs, the Beacon Hills Movie Club, where we watch and provide commentary from movies starring the amazing cast of Teen Wolf and featuring the work of our talented crew, as well as guest video interviews and a monthly watch party. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash RTBH podcast and join the pack. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at return to Beacon Hills at gmail.com. Alpha Pact was written by Jeff Davis and directed by Tim Andrew. In it, Derek takes pain from Cora as her condition deteriorates, even though Peter warns that doing so could cost him everything. Isaac changes allegiances. Lydia tries to figure out why Jennifer wanted her dead. Trapped in the root cellar, Stalinsky tells Chris and Melissa about the night Stiles' mother died. With time running out and no other way of finding the nematon, Deaton prepares Scott, Allison, and Stiles to undergo a dangerous ritual. Our favorite quote from this episode is an exchange between Lydia and her mother, Natalie. Natalie says, Having gotten my share of hickeys in high school, I developed some patented cover-up methods. If you don't want to go to school, honey, you don't have to. Lydia replies, that's not it. It's just someone tried to strangle me and I survived. I don't need to hide that. Natalie says, no, no, you don't. But we're still going to do your hair, right? Lydia says, of course we are doing my hair. Aw. I love this bit so much. It's very, very good. Our honorable mention comes from Styles. Shocker, shocker. He says, I'll give him a field sobriety test, okay? We'll do the alphabet. Start with F and with you. That's a good one. That's a good I really one. like Teen Wolf's approach to getting past the censors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They always find a clever way to curse without cursing. It's good. As the episode begins, Styles tries to rouse an unconscious Derek just in time to evade the police, using his tried and true method of slapping him in the face. When he closes his hand into a fist, Derek wakes and grabs his wrist. Derek's like, I like kinky, but not that kinky we get it man yellow light yep there's a great tumblr post that has gifs of a couple of the fist related steric moments from this season because there's the big old fist conversation when they're planning the bank vault break-in there's the bit with the rubber glove at the animal clinic and then there's this scene and someone was saying on the post that's three that's a pattern but why what's the significance of fisting stuff surely it's not just one big fisting joke right 
And then they looked up raised fist and found the Wikipedia page talking about how the raised fist is a longstanding symbol of solidarity, unity, and collective strength. Do I think that this was intentional? Absolutely not. Do I love it? Yes. Yes, I do. (laughs) Styles quickly gets Derek up to speed urgently telling him they need to get Derek out of there before the cops arrive. Also, I'm obsessed with Styles' hand gently petting Derek's shoulder. Right? Oh, it's just like a big, like, shoulder touch of the season. Yep, it's everything to me. And it's great that he's trying to get Derek out of there before the cops arrive. We've grown so much since when they were just accusing Derek of being a murderer. Also, (laughs) from all the times they've just sort of left him to whatever his fate may be, kind of happened in night school... You know, it happened in, what was the one where he falls at the mall? 305. Yeah, so it, it's it's happened in multiple seasons where they're just like, well, let the chips fall where they may. And by chips, we mean Derek's lifeless body. Um, you know what the <laughs> difference is though, right? Scott's not here to tell him to just like let Derek stay there. Although I think we, we posited in a previous episode that Styles found out that he was left behind. It was just like, What? what have you done because he's not there that in that in that in altercation at the mall and then he finds right. out and that's maybe where core and peter came in where he's just like i need he calls him <laughs> right. up on the phone he's like i need you to go to the mall right now he might be there so yeah once that happened he was like we got to make sure everyone gets home yep. so yeah in the car with core and isaac peter spots the argents Isaac asks whether the last time Peter saw them was the time he killed Kate and they burned him alive. When Isaac looks back to get Peter's answer, he realizes Peter is gone. That just feels right. And just like that, he was a V-neck in the wind. (laughs) (laughs) I would have like really loved for Isaac just to look and like Peter's just crawling on the ground to get away of not being seen. Derek meets up with Isaac, Allison, and Chris while Stiles stays at the hospital to hold off the police. Stiles ends up speaking with a particular law enforcement officer, Raphael. Uh, Matthew Del Negro, really nice guy. Yeah, I like him as an actor. I've seen him on some other things, including a Netflix show. Unfortunately, the conversation does not go well between them. Yes, if Styles can answer without his usual sarcasm. When was the last time he saw Styles? I wonder. Styles definitely makes an impression. It was 10 years ago, but it, it, it feels like yesterday. Right? Yeah. He's been that sassy since he's like six. I feel like. Yeah. I would believe that. I would actually believe that. 100%. Though Styles doesn't provide Raphael with any information, Raphael reveals to Styles that they found a name painted on the elevator doors, Argent. Don't dead. Open inside. Never not funny. <laughs> I think it's funny. At the loft, Derek tries to figure out how to save Cora, whose condition continues to worsen. Isaac berates Derek for doing nothing while the others struggle to find Stalinsky and Melissa. He says that while Scott and Styles were out trying to save people, Derek was rolling around in the sheets with the killer. This is so awful. Who told him that? And why is everyone so mean to Derek? He's just the show's punching bag. And like, when he was rolling around the sheets with her, everyone thought he was dead. <laughs> right! Also, they weren't out trying to save people when that was happening. They were on the school bus on their way to a meet, and they had recently left Derek for dead. Including Isaac. Isaac was there for all of that. Yes. He couldn't have been out helping people even if he wanted to, by the way. He literally collapsed in the school parking lot. And right before this scene, in this episode, at the hospital, it's not even like Scott asked Derek for help. Scott left with Deucalion while Derek was still passed out inside. He didn't even know Scott was gone or what to do, and he wouldn't have gotten out of the hospital in time to avoid the cops at all 
if Styles hadn't gone back for him. It seems pretty unfair to be like, I mean, we don't have a plan yet to save Melissa and Stolinski any more than we have a plan to save Cora, but they're more important than her. So you're being selfish. Like, how exactly do you want him to help? Where is Scott? What is Scott doing? You don't know. Yeah, it would be different if they had a role for Derek and Derek said, no, I want to stay with Cora, even if I can't help her. Honestly, I would still understand if he did want to stay with her in case he could figure out a way to help her. But I could also understand them getting upset that they have a part for Derek to play, but he won't do it despite not being able to help Cora right this second. But they don't have a role for him or even to Derek's knowledge, any kind of plan whatsoever. Exactly. He's getting yelled at for not having figured out what he's going to do for Cora yet even though they haven't figured out what they're going to do for Melissa and Stalinsky yet either. I agree. I think the writers want there to be tension here, but the tension would be better drama if they did have a plan for Derek and he won't do it. They could still disagree, but you understand where both sides are coming from instead of Isaac just being a dick. Right. Yes. Yeah. I agree. Let's just yell at Derek and everything will be fixed. Yeah. (laughs) Isaac asked why Derek bit his betas. Was he bored? Derek doesn't answer. Was he lonely? Derek says, maybe. Oh, I know my heart. It, it hurts. Really shocked me that Derek answered that question. And yeah. I think that speaks to him wanting to continue to have a relationship with Isaac mm-hmm. and not let it be destroyed by this situation, but also not really knowing how to do it. So he like answers honestly, even though probably he wouldn't normally answer a question like that because it's about feelings and he hates questions about feelings. He hates feeling feelings. He hates feeling feelings. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And I feel like the fact that he answers, which is so unlike him, just speaks to how much he wishes he could fix this. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. Derek says he promised Cora he wouldn't leave her and he'll help the others once he figures out how to help her. Which I feel like is reasonable, but hey, let's just, I'll take yeah. the poor puppy while he's down. It it makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's certainly not unreasonable. When Isaac leaves, Peter tells Derek not to take it personally. He says Isaac is just using anger to justify shifting his allegiance from Derek to Scott, who's on his way to being an alpha. I do think even though Peter is not credible by any means, this does make Isaac's behavior a little bit more understandable because Peter is saying, you know, he kind of is lashing out irrationally. Like Peter's normally the first to criticize Derek, but here he's like, Isaac isn't criticizing you because he really believes what he's saying. He wants to be in Scott's pack. And so subconsciously, that's why he is lashing out at you so that he feels like he's justified in shifting his allegiances. And even though Peter isn't credible, I feel like he might be right in this case. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Isaac is also probably like, you know, he's kind of at this point place where he was at the end of last season where two people are in danger and he doesn't know what to do to help them because I mean this was when Boyd and Erica you know were going off on their own and he was losing his pack and friends most of his pack and friends and then you know he's been staying with the McCalls and he's grown somewhat close it seems like to Melissa like seeing Mm -hmm. her as like a maternal figure figure. I don't think he's that particularly close to sheriff but still I think he probably knows that he's like Styles is like only person left 
So I can just see him really like wanting to do something and not wanting to feel useless like the last time around. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the irony is that Cora is kind of Derek's last person too. Yes. Yeah. I'm not saying it's reasonable. I'm just saying it does like make sense. It's like, I guess, a teenager. Yeah. yeah. Trying yeah. to cope with trauma. Especially when it comes to Melissa. Because I think, like you said, he, on some level, he's been trying to rebuild a family mm-hmm. with Scott and Melissa. At the Argent's apartment, Allison, Chris, and Styles discuss their next steps. Styles and Allison fear that Chris could be the next guardian to be taken. Maybe next they'll just be taking shitty fathers. Got some of those in town. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Allison thinks that Morel might be the one who wrote their name at the hospital, perhaps an attempt to warn them. Chris tells them to focus on finding Melissa and Styles' dad using the Telluric Currents map. I don't remember the sheriff's name, so I'll just call him your dad. <laughs> <laughs> it does kind of stick out when they keep saying Melissa and Stalinsky. It's like, surely the people in his life know what his first name is, right? Like, yeah, why did they why hold out on that for so long? Seasons. Why did they hold out on that for so long, though? Is there a reason? I don't know. Do we ever figure out if it was Merle who wrote the name or who it was? I don't remember. I was honestly shocked when it happened in the episode because I was just like, I don't remember this part. It was <laughs> what? very dramatic. Yeah, it's very dramatic, especially since like nothing comes of it. I know. You know and I it, feel like, yeah, I feel like this has kind of been the season of revelations that don't really lead anywhere. Yeah. Like, it just doesn't affect the outcome, though. Yeah. It doesn't it, affect their decision making in any way. Yeah. Like nothing comes of it. You could remove that bit from the whole episode and nothing changes. It'd be different. It'd be better if, like, I mean, this doesn't make any sense, but where it's like if uh, the FBI agent, it's, it's Scott's dad. We know what's happening here. If Scott's dad, like was now zeroing in on Argent or the Argents, you know, if that like kind of funneled people towards them in a mm-hmm. way, it's like, and it caused problems that, okay, sure. But it's just like, hey, someone wrote a name on a thing. Does it matter? No. No, no it does not. No. <laughs> I mean, it looked good. It did. But then that's the, that's all of it. That's it. <laughs> Allison suggests they enlist Lydia's help. Chris asks what she means. Styles explains how Lydia found the bodies without looking for them. It's her new favorite talent. <laughs> Chris asks if Lydia is psychic. Remember when he told Allison to keep an eye on Lydia after she was bitten? I guess he like lost interest in what she was turning into. I mean, I suppose they did have a lot of other stuff going on. Yeah, it, it really goes back to the conversation we've been having about what is and is not discussed off screen. Like sometimes things that you assume wouldn't be discussed off screen that would warrant on screen interactions don't get them. Yeah. And other times things that you're like, yeah. Probably so-and-so told so-and-so this information off screen. And then it, it turns out that they didn't. And you're just like, why? <laughs> why is yep. this playing out this way? Why did you withhold this information? You know, like when we realized that Melissa didn't know that Peter was alive, yeah. for example. Mm-hmm. Or when we realized that Isaac at least didn't know that Gerard was alive. We don't know who in the group knows that Gerard is alive besides Allison and That's Scott. Should be that weekly newsletter. Yeah, yes. Who's alive? Who's dead? In Beacon Hills. They need their own zine. But if they had that, then how could we just have arbitrary tension based on characters not telling each other things they would obviously tell each other? But there's not even always tension. Sometimes it's just like a throwaway thing of, oh, oh you're still alive, aren't you? Yeah, like it doesn't, no one's ever that like, true. what? <laughs> I mean, granted, Melissa had a reaction. 
you know, but it, it, to, to Peter, but no one is ever like table flip. What it do you wasn't mean? like a big thing. It was just kind of like, you know, oh, it's you. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like she should have had a bigger reaction to the person who wanted to kill her, but they didn't. So, well, wanted to turn her. Tr- yeah, right. Turn her. It would be fun if she just walked in and was like, what the mother? F-? <laughs> yeah. No, it'd be great. It'd be absolutely you get great. that past the censors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have fun. What the mother F and F? <laughs> see, see what you can get through Sick there. Of this monkey fighting werewolf <laughs> in this Monday to Friday hospital. nice with no other way of helping cora Derek takes her pain peter warns him about taking too much jennifer didn't do a great job with this they acted like she poisoned cora's leverage but then she was just going to let her die instead of using that leverage to get Derek to take a certain action that benefits her the leveraging part didn't last very long she asked for his help in the last episode but then she disappeared She's not asking him for anything now. Yeah, that strategy seems to have been abandoned quickly. And that's very strange. It kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier, Will, about characters wanting things. Like, okay, I understand. She poisoned Korra so that she can maneuver Derek Mm -hmm. the way she wants to. And in the last episode, you know, she said, I'm not going anywhere without Derek. And it's because she feels like she's pulling his strings because she's the only person who can save Korra. That makes sense to me. But then everybody just kind of goes home. (laughs) Yeah, it does feel like enough times, maybe not a lot of times, a lot of times, whatever, that the show does kind of follow sitcom rules in a way where it's like when an episode ends, there is a reset, not necessarily Mm -hmm. in plot. There is a reset, but with wants and desires of characters, Mm -hmm. even though they should continue moving forward. Right. Isaac joins Chris Allison Styles, armed only with his claws. And possibly a spare ring dagger. Oh my God. Everyone loves doing that move where they flick out their claws. I mean, I'd do it too if I had those claws. Yeah, me too. fake nails on it all. Peter explains to Derek how wolves in the wild care for their wounded and sick, often by intensely grooming them and regurgitating food into their mouths. So you have to lick Cora and throw up in her mouth a little bit. Ah, nature is beautiful. For werewolves, when Alpha takes pain from a sick or wounded werewolf, that werewolf draws on the spark of power that makes them an alpha. There's that word again, spark. Listen to our Styles of Spark bonus episode, folks. It's a good one. That could save Korra, but it doesn't work every time. Peter says it could just as easily kill Derek. Which I totally don't want to happen. Wink. You're not supposed to say wink. (laughs) (laughs) So manipulative. I wonder if Peter even thought it would work or if it would just kill Derek and he was cool with that. Either way, it's a win for Peter. Before school, Natalie offers to help Lydia cover up the bruises on her neck. Again, I love this scene. It's such an exquisite callback to the scene in season one, episode five, The Tell, in which Lydia sits at that same vanity desk and puts on a full face of makeup to cover up the trauma she's just experienced. Lydia has come so far. Yeah, this is a great scene. Because it really shows off her growth. Absolutely. And Susan Walters, who plays her mom. Yay! 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 Natalie adds that Lydia doesn't have to go to school if she doesn't want to. Is there really even a school day happening at this point? You know they don't cancel school for anything. But Lydia says that she doesn't need to hide the fact that someone tried to strangle her and she survived. Natalie agrees, though she still thinks they should do Lydia's hair. She has such a cute smile. I love it. Like seeing Lydia happy, like genuinely happy. 
I know it's, it's so rare these days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. While Styles goes to talk to Lydia, Chris takes Allison and Isaac to the bank, one of the locations on the Telluric Currents map. Yeah, go back to places you've been. Smart, because they reuse places all the damn time. It's basically a game of Clue. Suddenly he incapacitates Isaac and handcuffs Allison. He says that the drock is in sync with the Telluric Currents. Speak of the devil, Jennifer appears, lauding what Chris has done as a true sacrifice. I love that shot of her shadow rising over Chris as she shifts into the drop. It's really badass. Yeah, yeah it's great. fantastic. And what a twist for him to go stun gunning poor Isaac. Yeah. It's a great twist until I keep waiting for them to explain why he made this move and they never do. It's very dramatic. Drama. Styles tells Lydia about Scott going with Deucalion. Lydia is unsure she can help since she can't turn her powers on and off. But then she remembers that Jennifer was surprised when she realized that Lydia was a banshee. That suggests Jennifer wasn't trying to kill Lydia because she was a banshee, but for another reason that they need to figure out. I'm a little annoyed. I know there's a lot going on. We're rushing to finish out this uh, first part of season three, but we didn't have a scene in which Lydia tells the others what she is. It's a big moment to happen off screen. Yep, they ain't got time. Oh, is it not in the season at all? Well, I no, mean, she, she talks like, about right it in the talking, scene to yeah. Styles, but he already Oh, right, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, like everyone's just like, oh, and she's a banshee now. But like, you know, she finds out from Jennifer and then it's just talked about like casual, like- yeah. As casually as being a supernatural thing can be, there's never a big reveal to the others. Like this is after all this time, we finally know what's going on with Lydia and she's a right. That conversation happened off screen. But so I find that annoying. And I also just find it unlikely that Lydia herself isn't immediately just diving into research about Banshees. Yeah. Like Styles would, I feel like, if not for the fact that his father was taken, but Lydia, she's kind of removed from the situation. I mean, it seems like she's just doing her own thing until Styles pulls her back in here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just, she was just going to go to school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it just seems like, you know, we have seen her like trying to, after all this time, she finally has the answer as to what she is. She'd be doing research. She'd be yeah. reading things in archaic Latin and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially because she was the one who, helped translate parts of the bestiary. I would think right. that she True, would be yeah. going in there saying like, do they have an entry on Banshee? What do they know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think another, if they were wanting to, you know, have tension, they could have her trying to get Allison to help her with that, you know, before her dad's taken. Yeah. And Allison's like, we don't have time for it. And Lydia's like, you know, telling Allison, yeah, you never have time when it comes to me. And I was almost killed. I feel like I deserve to read a few pages of your bestiary to try to figure out what's going on with me. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Now alone, Isaac manages to get Allison out of the cuffs her father put her in, which Ah. sounds way kinkier than it should. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Dino busting out the sad piano. Do you feel like you wasted your time here, Isaac? This is time well used. It would be really terrible for Allison's last non-murderer family member to die, wouldn't it? Isaac can understand why Allison is just paralyzed with anxiety here and doesn't know what to do. Derek continues to take Cora's pain, despite Peter's warnings that this could be Jennifer's plan. Maybe she wants Derek to be defenseless so that he will need her help against the Alpha Pack. If so, it's not a very good plan, is it? She's not even there to see what he does. Also, what does Peter actually want Derek to do here? He's the one who tells Derek about this, and he seems really manipulative about it, but then he keeps trying to dissuade him. 
Yeah, I feel like he just wanted to make it interesting for himself, maneuvering Derek in different directions. But I ho- probably hope that both of them would just end up dying and he'd be the last hail once again. Styles gets a text from Isaac about Jennifer taking Chris. This means Jennifer has all three guardian sacrifices. He goes into a panic attack. Oh no, she really did collect them all. <laughs> Dark. No, I think they did a good job with depicting his panic attack here. I was really impressed. It is good. Chris wakes up in the root cellar where Melissa and Stalinsky grimly inform him that Jennifer took the three knives and the one taser that he had hidden on his person. And that gun you had up your ass. Guys, why did Chris do this? Did he really think Jennifer wouldn't take his weapons? Gotta keep that razor blade in your cheek, buddy. I know. I mean, surely he's been like over the course of being a hunter for what? 40 years or something he would know like like what would be like to be taken and not like be searched for weapons yeah right this is an amateur hour (laughs) yeah argent (laughs) jennifer comes in and tells chris that she is operating under the argent's code hunting those who hunted her chris retorts that their causes aren't the same because he doesn't kill innocent people anymore (laughs) which is a very important distinction yeah as Styles points out <laughs> earlier in the season. Jennifer admits that the sacrifice thing is unfortunate, but tells him that his death will make the world safer. At the high school, Lydia tries to help Styles come out of the panic attack, but her blurted out suggestion to think about happy things like friends and family doesn't quite work. She really would think that Lydia would be better in a crisis. Maybe, but we did see her in a crisis with Jackson in season two, and she was not good. (laughs) She was flipping absolute shit. Lydia presses her lips to Styles' to get him to hold his breath, which brings him out of the panic attack. (laughs) His face. I know. I love it. His eyes go huge. (laughs) Then Lydia says, next time I put my lips on yours, you better be enjoying it. (laughs) (laughs) Lydia explains that she read that holding one's breath could help end a panic attack. And when she kissed him, he held his breath. I really wanted her to say, so I held your breath. Yeah, that's a good line. I like how he played this scene. Like he looks so grateful. Not that it was a kiss, but that she found a way to help him. Yeah. Like he's just really grateful that she's there for him. Mm-hmm. Definitely. This is one of the big studio scenes, guys. Yes, it is. Lady tells him he should probably sign up for some counseling sessions, which reminds Styles that Morel might know something they could use. They go to Morel's office and find Danielle waiting for Morel. Danielle tells them to wait their turn because she has issues to work on. And they're all related to you and your friends, Styles. <laughs> Danielle and Lydia both say that Morel is never late, leading Styles to suspect that she's missing. Styles goes through Morel's files and finds Lydia's. In it, they find Lydia's sketch of a tree. I love how Lydia's just instantly like, you got my file? Okay, yes, I will read that. Thank you very much. <laughs> Styles realizes Lydia has been mindlessly drawing the exact same tree over and over. I like this bit. This is fun. It is. Yeah. Danielle sees the sheer number of times Lydia has drawn the exact same tree and tells Lydia that she can have her session. Yep. That's all work and no play energy right there. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Or perhaps Styles realizes Lydia has been drawing the exact same root structure over and over. Jeff had this idea that it was roots the whole time very early on breaking this season. I'm a little confused by this. How did Styles know it was roots? Because he heard the story in Visionary where Paige died against the roots in the root cellar. And he figured out that must be where the sacrifices are being held based on that alone. Like a story from 
what, 10 years ago? He read the script. Okay, because, I mean, Peter never said it was a nematon or had magical snippets. So did Scott relay in intense detail everything Gerard said? And then when Styles compared that to the story Peter told without having any way of knowing they took place in the exact same time frame and therefore figure out that the reseller is the magical nematon used by druids and Drox? Yes, this is the season of characters having tremendously important connective conversations off screen. Yeah, okay. Just wondering. Because it's Beacon Hills. There's a giant preserve it's weird for him to be like oh that's definitely not a tree even though Lydia says it's a tree and she's the one who drew it it's roots roots related to that one place from a story I heard secondhand it's a huge leap this turn literal where he turns her drawing upside down and figurative he's basing it on essentially one piece of information a place where Peter and Derek used to go had big roots because unless Scott told him about the Nematon root cellar, in which case I suppose he could guess that they might be the same place, but then that just goes back to the important conversations happening off screen thing. Just because seven years ago there was this story with the roots. Ten years, Ten years ago. ago. What? Derek was 16 when the fire happened. The fire happened six years ago. This happened one year before the fire, seven years. I'm pretty sure Jennifer said it was 10 years ago. Oh man, for a hot second, I forgot that the timeline is figgity f How could you forget that? <sighs> for a hot second. When he gets sidelined by Raphael, Stiles tells Lydia to relay the information to Derek. Raphael informs Stiles that his father's car has been in the school parking lot since last night meaning he's missing. He and Styles engage in some verbal sparring, during which Raphael asks Styles where his, quote, click is. Scott, Isaac, Allison, Ethan, and Aiden, none of whom are at school today. When Styles still says nothing, he asks if there's somewhere Styles can go for the night. Deaton steps in. Which is just real weird, and I would have a lot of questions if that was Raphael. Yeah, because it's like, you don't know if there be, I mean, I guess he could just be like, he's a family friend. My dad goes to him when animals die weirdly in town. Like that's, <laughs> it's a weird moment. It's yeah. weird to be like, my, I know we don't know yet that he's Scott's dad, but he's Scott's dad. So it's like, it's my son's vet boss here to step in to take in his friend. Yeah. For reasons. And how did he know that to come get him at the time? He just like weirdly appeared in the doorway at the school, like mm, Red Flag City. Be like, I know that this worked for your dramatic timing, but like in real world terms, how the f did you end up in this doorway at the exact <laughs> moment that I was asking this question, sir? Lydia arrives at the loft and runs into Peter. Is this the first time she's seen him since the events of last season? Yeah, and they have like funny music paired with it, which is a choice. Morel runs through the woods, pursued by the Alpha Twins. And it's nighttime now. Deucalion points out the surprising presence of fireflies, leading Scott to realize it's probably because of Jennifer, who has caused all sorts of unusual animal activity. Deucalion is concerned about Jennifer because she's willing to kill so many innocent people just to take out the Alpha Pack. Oh, because you would never do that, right? Yeah, come on, buddy. Scott asks whether Deucalion would kill innocent people. Deucalion says he'd kill anything that got in his way. At least he's honest, I guess. Yeah. So he's got that going for him. Just before the alphas overtake her, Morel throws a mountain ash circle around herself. I love that shot, though. It's a good one. Lydia is disappointed to learn that Derek and Peter don't know where the Nimaton is because Talia took that memory from them. Meanwhile, Kali reveals it was Morel who sent the woman, Brayden, to save Isaac. 
Merle says she was doing what she always does, maintain balance. She also tells the others that Deucalion was the one who killed Ennis, not Derek. Deaton had treated Ennis's wounds successfully. Why did you take this long to tell them? Drama. It's not like she didn't have access to them or anything. Like, yeah. we've seen her, like, working with the Alpha Pack. What the yeah. hell? Morel explains that Decalion killed Ennis to force Derek's hand, thinking that if Derek joined the Alpha Pack, he'd pave the way for Scott. You know, because they're best friends. <laughs> Decalion, if you had watched the first couple seasons, you'd know what a hilarious suggestion that is. Deucalion claims she's lying and throws his cane spear at her, wounding her and causing her to set foot outside of the mountain ash circle. Hey, that answers our question from earlier about whether werewolves can send objects into a mountain ash protected area. Yeah. Yes, it does. Scott steps in to protect Morel, helping to pull the spear out of her. We'll put pressure on it. God. Morel tells Scott to find the nematon. In the root cellar, Chris tries to get out of his restraints, saying he's been tied up many times. My late wife was very, very kinky. R.I.P. Victoria. R.I.P. <laughs> Rest in kink. Still Stilinski tells a story about an incident eight years ago, the night his wife died. I prefer the on-fire version of that timeline where Claudia was dying at the same time that Derek was with Kate. Yeah. A teenage girl got into a car accident and knew she was going to die. As Stilinski held her hand, she told him to go be with her, referring presumably to his wife, Claudia, who was in the hospital. And then she said, swing away, Meryl. Swing away. <laughs> uh, I love it. Stolinski refused to believe the girl could know something like that, so he stayed until she passed away. Wait, who is this girl supposed to be? Anyone we know? I don't think so. I think she's just an emblem of the supernatural presence in Beacon Hills. Was she yeah. a banshee? Do you think it could have been that she's a banshee if she knew like Claudia was dying? That's a banshee thing, right? Could be. It's possible. It's very possible. Anything is possible in Beacon Hills. It was uh, Natalie's twin sister that we've never heard about before. Oh, uh, yes. Makes sense. Lydia had an older sibling who died. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. By the time he got to the hospital, Claudia was already dead, and Styles had been the only one there with her. Aw, baby Styles trauma. Major trauma. Sad. Stolinski regrets his refusal to believe in the supernatural, which he now knows is real. Deaton tells Allison, Isaac, Stiles, and Scott that there might be a way for them to find the location of the Nematon, but it's dangerous. Dangerous and hella cool. The best combination. Allison, Stiles, and Scott will need to die temporarily and function as surrogate sacrifices for their parents. If everything goes to plan, they'll be revived immediately. It's very, um, frighteners to me. Yeah, definitely. God, I love that movie. Such a good movie. In addition to the danger of the deaths being permanent, they'll be giving power to the Nematon, which will become like a beacon for the supernatural. Scott asks if that's all. Well, there is more, but that's all I'm going to tell you for now. (laughs) I mean, is it not already a beacon? Kind of. I mean, I guess we get more shit, but we've already got so much going on. It's like, throw it at me, man. (laughs) Even if they are revived, Deaton explains, they will have a darkness around their hearts for the rest of their lives. It'll stay like a scar or a tattoo. Foreshadowing. And also coming back full circle to the opening of the season when Scott gets a tattoo. Very true. 
Back in the root cellar, Chris activates an ultrasonic emitter, which he usually uses to corral werewolves. He hopes he can use it to call them now. I guess that's what had been up his ass. I guess. Yeah, why Jennifer leave that on him? He's like, eh, I don't know what this is. So I'm just going to let him keep it. Mm-hmm. Where did he where did he pull it from? Just his pocket? Yeah, is that right? I told you where he pulled it from. Nature's pocket. Well, he, they, <laughs> we should have at least done something interesting where he like pulled it out of the heel of his boot or something. So it's like hidden on him type of thing. And not just like in his pocket. Cause you're right. It's like, she should have just taken a, a smart kidnapper. I, not that I, I have experience in this. I'm just saying a smart kidnapper. You take it. I believe that you'd be a stupid kidnapper. I would be awful <laughs> at it. Just, just the worst, but I mean, take everything. Yeah, obviously. Take everything. At Deaton's clinic, they fill three tubs with ice water. You just know there's a gas station attendee nearby who's really curious about what they're getting up to at that uh, vet clinic all the time with these huge bags of ice. Yeah. Gas station for the ice, animal clinic for the ketamine. That's a recipe for a great party. Oh, yeah. But what? Allison Styles and Scott bring emotionally significant objects relating to their parents. They will be revived by Isaac, Lydia, and Deaton. Someone to pull them back. Someone with a strong connection to them. An anchor, if you will, Dean says, Ah. turning to the camera and winking. (laughs) (laughs) And again, we say, you're not supposed to say the word wink. Lydia plans to revive Allison, but Deaton tells her to pair with Styles and Isaac to pair with Allison. Isaac and Allison look to Scott, who says it's okay. Yeah, of course it is. This kind of, do you have an emotional connection with my ex moment is really just not that important when their parents might die. Yeah. You don't remember what it's like to be a teenager, do you? I <laughs> definitely don't, you guys. I I am definitely at the point in life where I watch a show or a movie with teenagers and I'm like, we're your parents. <laughs> <laughs> do you know do you know how hard they have to work to They're pay the mortgage? <laughs> <laughs> you're just watching Euphoria and you're like completely irresponsible. I do not like any of this. <laughs> Scott Allison and Styles prepare for their temporary deaths. Oh, Dino and Dave Daniels crush it here with their music and cinematography. It's gorgeous. I love it. Also, shout out to Free People for making that slip that Allison's wearing. Yeah, it's good wet too. But then everyone looks better wet. Indeed. That's the subtitle for Teen Wolf. Yes. Before they go under, Styles tells Scott that his father is in town. The officer to whom Styles had spoken is none other than Raphael McCall. And he's still a dick. Man, if only Scott had known that his actual father was in town to disappoint him, so he wouldn't have needed a surrogate one in Deucalion. <laughs> <laughs> Man, Styles was really casual in saying, if I don't make it back and you do. Yeah. At the McCall house, Raphael sits on Scott's bed, picking up his copy of A Tale of Two Cities. My son knows how to read. When the hell did that happen? One of the years you weren't around, asshole. Speaking of which, how did he get into the house? Uh, the window is open. He climbed in like Styles or Derek. That's why Melissa keeps that baseball bat there for yeah. ex-husbands. <laughs> there mm-hmm. you go. As the three surrogate sacrifices plunge into baths full of ice water, Derek continues taking Cora's pain until he screams and his red wolf eyes change to blue. Damn, that's cool. Yeah, and Dino and Dave are wrecking us here. With a to-be-continued card, the episode ends. Dun-dun-dun! All right, Wolfies, that wraps up the beta section for Alpha Pact. 
And now we're about to dive into spoilers, not just for this episode, but for the whole Teen Wolf series. If you want to stay spoiler-free for all of the excellent stories to come, jump out now and we'll catch you next week. But if this isn't your first time in Beacon Hills and you want to hear more, don't move a muscle. Here comes the alpha. What about Scott and Melissa? Jennifer took Melissa. What about Scott? Derek, where's Scott? All right, Wolfies, now we're going to jump over to our interview with Paul Ray, curator of the Teen Wolf Wookiee, about his recent trip to the set of the Teen Wolf movie. Let's have a listen. What do you think Peter Hale's agenda was during season 3A? I don't know that he had an agenda. I think he was just like, okay, I'm out. As soon as he saw that Alpha Pack symbol on the door, he's like, yeah, I'm not (laughs) messing with these guys. So y'all go deal with that. I'll chill back here in the loft, make a few jokes with Styles, and <laughs> y'all go take care of y'all business. <laughs> but I think That's I think hilarious. within that you get the the regular machinations of of Peter. You get the Peter telling half the story when he's relaying the page thing. You get Peter glossing over the whole blue eye thing, mm-hmm. and then you get this. Like, I don't get the ending at all. And and I really probably should talk to Jeff about this, even though it's been 10 years and we probably should be over it. <laughs> Never. The, Never over it. Yeah. the um, I don't get the killing Jennifer at the end. What did that gain him? That, I mean, I've that's still got why people, we ask, actually. Yeah. It's something we talked about a lot. Yeah. I, I've yeah. still got people telling me that he got power from that somehow. And I don't see how he did. That's not I, part I of the mythology up yeah. to that point for werewolves. That yeah. you can take it from alphas but you can't take it from we've never said if you kill a magical other thing you get something from that so yeah i mean and and i you know i'm all in this big uh new age teen wolf thing about the spark and the transfer of energy and all this stuff that's been my my big overarching theory of teen wolf for the past i guess six months and i get that there's a transfer of energy there was a transfer of energy from the nematon to her there was a transfer of energy from the sacrifices through the the telluric currents to her so i get that there was a lot of energy being transferred here but i don't know of any mechanism where a quick swipe of the the claws is going to get you that power right right they ended season 3A on that. And that was what it was. It was the cliffhanger. And it was like, oh, well, this is big and dramatic and da, 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 and we're never going to pay it off. Yeah. yeah. Until season four, in which case it's like it's like he took a breath in season three. And then in <laughs> season four, he picks up, oh, yes, I've always been the alpha. Here, let mm-hmm. me team up with this chick and we'll take down the alpha. Yeah. So, yeah a little confusing, I but... I don't get it. And I don't, I mean, I love Peter for who Peter is. Mm -hmm. So I always want him to be that guy who's always scheming and always in the background Mm -hmm. and always doing the uh, avoiding too much conflict thing if he can't win. Mm -hmm. And which is why I think he stayed out of the way of the the alpha pack. But also, why was he even still in Beacon Hills, though, if he wanted to stay out of it and was worried about his concerned about himself it seems like he would have just left Beacon Hills until it was over with. Well, he does have that sexy apartment downtown. True, but like, yeah, it it just felt like whenever he's encouraging Derek to go, but then he decides to stay, like, he has a plan, but I don't know what that plan is. Well, and also, based on, yeah, and you you saw the utter pain in his eye when Derek was uh, saving Cora. I mean, that was pure pain on Peter's part because that's it for the Alpha Spark. 
that's it for his spark, the spark that was rightfully his from the beginning. And it's gone. I mean, yeah. it's been it's been burned up healing a person who would have died otherwise. So that was his. And now it's gone. And boy, was he pissed. Yeah. And, and it was all right there on Ian's face. Ian, Ian, I got to tell you, he has he has impressed me so much. It's like we got these little tastes of him in Teen Wolf. And it was great because you only want a little bit of Peter. You don't want mm-hmm. too much Peter. Yeah. Right. Because Peter's Peter's definitely a spice. He's highly but, concentrated for sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but since I've seen him in a spe- specifically Yellowstone and some other stuff, Ian makes these choices that I don't see other actors making in similar situations. And like just the look on his face when Derek is trying to heal Cora, which is a happy time because, hey, this is another hail. It's a bad time because, hey, you're giving up the spark. Hey, maybe Derek will die and I'll get this loft. (laughs) You know, I mean, there's this whole there's this whole range of emotions going across his face. And I I just think Ian's very, very skilled at that. So you had also visited the set for the original show. How did the energy compare on the film set? Do you think it would look safe? like kind of experience it's the same people it's it's literally with the exception of katie who was the um script supervisor on Mm -hmm. the show it was all the same people carly was there barbara was there russell was there joe was there Mm -hmm. uh you had eric porn he was there i mean it was all the same people so i felt exactly the same the only thing missing was the british accent from having um our our british director Tim, yeah. Tim, Tim was not there, and 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 uh, Katie was not there. But other than that, it was oh, and um, and Bill was not there. Bill Gibson was not there. It, it, it was exactly the same though. Other than that, because it's all the same people, and they're all very excited to be back. You know, oh. Danny Flores, who does costumes, actually came out of retirement, yeah, just to do the movie with Barbara because Barbara asked him to help her. Carly is now, you know, Carly just came off a big HBO series mm-hmm. where she was like the head of the makeup department for Minx. And she came on to do Teen Wolf, the movie, and is staying on to do Wolfpack. So, and again, it's it's that same Teen Wolf family feeling Aww. that that everybody, you know, was pulling together for a, a, a thing they all believed in. And that, that I love. That wasn't the big thing that impressed me back in 2016. And it impressed me again on the movie set. So it was kind of cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Were you able to hang out with any of the actors? I'm the guy that that goes to summer camp and wants to hang out with the counselors. I'm not... I wanted to hang out with crew because their jobs are interesting to me and I can't really talk about what the actors do because that would be spoilers. But I did hang out with Posey a little bit. He's very mature and very focused on what he's doing. Now, the opposite end of that spectrum would be Orny. (laughs) Yeah who is always performing. And he actually did a set for the um, for the background people as there nice. was a shot. Oh, he did, so fun. He did, like, uh, he did like six minutes of his set for them tailored to the situation we were in. Nice. So that was cool. The nicest person on set had to be Vince Mattis, but that's because he didn't know any better. Ah. <laughs> well, there I you mean, go. Come on. He's, he's very young. This is his third movie set. He didn't he didn't know to be wary of me. And he was so nice and so giving. And we got this great interview, which I still haven't I haven't posted all of it yet. But it's it's he's he's really cool guy. 
And then the only other person that I really talked to, I talked to Shelly just for a second. She was really busy. I talked to um, Parrish. Brian Kelly. Ryan. Brian Kelly. And he's, he's the nicest guy. I, I was telling him about YouTube because YouTube, the algorithm has gone nuts and hates me now. And I was telling him about this and he goes, well, if you want to, if you want to shoot something, we could do it. We, we can do something <laughs> right now. I was like, actually, I can't do it right now, but we'll do it before I leave. We never did it. But he Aww. was like so giving and so nice. And I was like, I was like, this guy, how does he survive in this business? Because <laughs> he is so genuine and really, really nice. And while I got to see JR and Melissa and Ian, they were working and they were shooting this very important scene. And I got to see Crystal, but I was told not to focus on Crystal because nobody knows how she's coming back. So nobody knows if she's a flashback or if she's really there or if she's a ghost or, you know, didn't really get to hang with Crystal. I'm trying to think if there's any, oh, I talked to Amy over text. I think she's a badass. One thing I noticed about the movie is that they break everybody up into teams and her team seems seems to be her and Liam. So I think that's going to be a really interesting dynamic because I again he's somebody I saw but didn't get to talk to. He is a grown ass man. Helen <laughs> Sprayberry is a grown ass man. I don't know when that happened but boy. And, uh, he he's he's amazing. And then um uh, again people I got to see but not really talk to. I got to see uh Mason uh, Kylan Mm-hmm. And he was super nice to me on set when I visited back in 2016, but um, I didn't get really a chance to talk to him here. But no, it, it was it was really cool. It was really, really neat. But again, I'm the guy that wants to go fanboy over Russell Mulcahy because Russell Mulcahy defined the look of the 80s. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. when anybody does something 80s, you can thank Russell Mulcahy because the quick cuts, the MTV generation, the way people dress, the way people you know, interacted on screen. That was all Russell. He created that entire genre. He was the, the he's the grandfather of the music video. Yeah. And I don't think he appreciated being called a grandfather, but <laughs> I fanboyed over him so hard he had to go towel off. It was, <laughs> that. that's where my mind is. Like I, I love nothing more than sitting in the trailer with Jeff while he's writing, because mm-hmm. I know every 10 minutes or so, he's going to read something to me. He and does that. And that's cool. I love that. I absolutely, yeah. I can't imagine, Will, being there when they're breaking the story. I mean, it's a that, lot of fun. I mean, there were plenty of times when we were still on the show and we'd be in the room working on stuff and and Jeff would be in his office writing and, and all that. And then like after like an hour, he'd come out and he'd sit down and be like, you want to hear what I just wrote? And we're like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And he puts it up on the projector and and then we, he reads it out and we talk about it and, and rewrite little bits and all that. It's, it's a lot of fun because he he's very he's ready to show like he's like we're doing this this is what's going to happen and he's just very proud and all and, that and he's very proud but he's also very excited about it oh and yeah it makes me excited as a fan because mm-hmm. i want somebody who loves this material i don't want somebody who's punching a time clock oh yeah no no no, no absolutely been, i don't want somebody who's been brought in as the fourth writer for a punch up yeah i want somebody who's excited about the material Right. And and that's that's Jeff. So, yeah, I enjoyed hanging out with him. I, I like talking to Carly because she just came off that dirty show from HBO. I don't know if you are <laughs> familiar with it, mm-hmm. but she had to do a lot of genital makeup. She showed me when she, I was there. Yeah. Yeah. And told we, us about it when we interviewed yeah. her as well. Yeah. yeah, it was fun. It was. And and that's somehow she got quoted in The New York Times, I think, either the L.A. Times or The New that's York awesome. Times. About, that's awesome. About about her penis work. Um, <laughs> 
her genital genre. Yes. There you go. So yeah, Carly and Barbara. Oh my God. Barbara and I had a very odd relationship during the show because Barbara is very, very camera shy. And you wouldn't know it to see her in pictures because she's got the biggest smile and she's always posing and she's always great. But she really doesn't like pictures of herself showing up. And of course me, when I was running the Teen Wolf News on the wiki, I was the picture sleuth. I would find everybody's social and I would post stuff from behind the scenes. And we actually had conversations back and forth. Her asking me to take things down back in the day. So getting to meet her and talk to her and express, you know, my how impressed I am with a lot of the stuff she's developed for this movie. And yeah. it, it, that was that to me is is worth the trip. And I know that that's not what most fans want. But again, it was my trip. So I yeah. did what I wanted to oh, do. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I like how it's the behind the can- behind the scenes stuff that really gets you. Because you're just yeah. like, not now, Tyler Heckin. I'm talking to Barbara. Well, <laughs> no, no, no. I'll t- if Hecklin had been there, I would have fanboyed over him on Superman. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you know, Derek Hale is kind of baked into my brain. Superman is still fresh. Oh yeah. And he he's the best Superman that's been in my lifetime. And I've been, I've lived through six of them. So he is the best Superman in my lifetime. And that is saying something because that character is hard to make interesting. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. Completely agree. You, yeah. You've got Clark who is interesting and and you know can have some some levels, but then you've got Superman who's got the literal weight of the world on his shoulders and can't do all this other stuff. And yet Hecklin finds a way to do it and yeah. make him so human. And he actually did an interview. I don't remember who it was with, but he did an interview where he talked about the difference between being a father on Teen Wolf and being a father on, on, uh, Lo- on uh, Superman and Clark. I mean, Superman and Lois. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how he w- he couldn't do a lot of stuff on Superman that he can do as a father on Teen Wolf. So I'm really looking forward to that dynamic. What do you think about the new character of Eli Hale? I really, I love the character for a number of reasons. A, I love Vince. Can't can't get enough of Vince. Could talk to Vince all day long. He is super, super nice. And he's super, super interested in the Teen Wolf mythology. And I become the, well, actually guy. <laughs> Whenever somebody yep. brings up yep. something about Teen Wolf mythology. So um, we had, we I mean, we sat on set the first couple of days and had some really good conversations. But um, so I love, I love the actor, but I love the idea of the character a little bit more. I love that in order to create this thing jeff actually pushed the movie out several years and set it in 2026 so that eli would not be tied to any of the love interests that we saw with eric i mean with Derek. the idea of the character is very interesting to me because it throws Derek's life in a whole new light and i'm trying to convince people that you know yeah we saw Derek a lot but you don't know what he was doing when we didn't see him <laughs> he could have been at Eli's house every birthday, every holiday. We never had holidays on the show except for Halloween. He, he could have the been only coming. good holiday. Yeah, well, not only that, but he could have been coming back from taking Eli trick or treating when he got to the thing and illuminate and uh, uh, illuminated. He could have been coming back, and when he roared at those little kids. So, I mean, he 
we don't know what everybody's like well Derek wasn't in his life he never mentioned him I'm like you don't know Derek Derek kind of <laughs> life before you met him so anyway so I love what it does I love what it does to the fandom I love what it does to the lore and I love the idea of a new teenager through which we can view this world because I think that's important um, because everybody's coming into this movie thinking they know what Teen Wolf is. Mm-hmm. And I think we need a perspective for someone who doesn't. And I think Eli's going to be that perspective. I don't know. I, again, I saw him film a couple of scenes, but uh, he is, he's, he's that fresh eyes that we need. I think not necessarily to, to revive a franchise. Cause I don't, I, I honestly don't think that, that following his story would be interesting after, you know, we get to know him. And I know that sounds bad, but I, I, and I'll get into this. You guys have a question later about what I think should happen to the franchise. But um, I, I don't think that a new teen wolf based around Eli would make much sense simply because it's been done before. Um, but I like him in this role, in this situation, providing this character in this movie. You mentioned seeing some scenes being filmed. What Can you elaborate on what kinds of scenes I, you, were, you I, saw? I can, merely because it was public knowledge a month and a half before I got there mm-hmm. um, that they were doing lacrosse. Um, and Jeff had always wanted to do lacrosse in a stadium. So they got a college stadium and they did lacrosse and it was very exciting. And I can tell you a little behind the scenes stuff. The majority of the players on the field in that scene are women. Interesting. Sweet. Nice. Yes, it is. And, and I don't think they planned it that way because again, they cast most of the lacrosse players as background. Mm-hmm. They went through a background casting agency to get the lacrosse players. And so you end up with who you end up with. And I kept I kept asking people, why is that team so much bigger than this team? And they were like, well, <laughs> <laughs> that team is majority female. I was like, how exciting. I was like, this is cool. Um, but yeah, it wasn't intentional. And it's a big game. I can tell you that. I can't tell you too many details around that, but it's, it's a big, important game. And um, coach is coach. He's always going to be coach. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And things happen at the stadium. It is a big thing that happens at the stadium. I can't tell you more than that, but it's lacrosse, a stadium full of people, and then boom. So there, I can tell you that. Well, this is Teen Wolf. If there's a lacrosse game, someone going <laughs> to die. I mean, that's just how it is. I don't don't know. Or something terrible is going to happen because it's a lacrosse game in Teen Wolf. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's it's and and not like that, but and a lot of the pictures confused a lot of people because Scott was dressed out and and he wasn't wearing his number. Eli was wearing his number. So it it kind of it, it confused a lot of people, which I'm glad. I'm really glad people are confused by that. Because that was one thing on set that I refused to let anyone tell me. It was the whole na 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 na. I don't want to know why Scott ended up in 2026 playing lacrosse with a high school team. I don't want to know. Yeah, the man's 30. I don't want to know why he's playing <laughs> lacrosse. 
but I know I'm going to love it. <laughs> Absolutely. So that was, that was that. And I will tell you this, Jeff did the thing where he reads me the same mm-hmm. because there was going to be somebody on set that um, I did not know about. And he knew that I needed to know about it beforehand. So he read me the scene and my reaction to him upon reading the scene and hearing who was, who was there was to scream at the top of my lungs in a very small trailer. F- you, Jeff Davis. So I was just yeah. going to say that it's, it's done. I won't, I won't go any further than that, but I, 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 I just, I mean, it's so good. And if people spoil it for you, then they're evil and you should <laughs> cut them out of your life. You should Marie Condi that stuff right out. <laughs> Do you know what it is? Will? Uh, yeah, I was there when we broke it and I read the script. So well, things have changed. Things have this changed a lot. Change. You this didn't, didn't need change. that tone yeah. of voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they ask you things and you're like, I don't know, that wasn't happening when I was there. Well, yeah. there are some things that like there was no uh Derek did not have a son when I was there. So yeah. really? Yeah. See now so. that's interesting to me. I wonder if that was a network note. I don't know. We floated that theory, didn't we? That it was like, what if it, it might've been me, that it was like, what if it was a network note that there needs to be a Teen Wolf? Yeah, in Teen Wolf. I could see that. Yeah, I mean, I can I mean, totally see that. That's, you know, because te- because networks have no idea how to make television. Um, I have noticed that about them. Yes. <laughs> they're terrible at it. So anyway, that's me in the network. I, I do not ask me about my conversation with the vice president of Paramount social oh, so. why would you say something like that besides trying to get us to ask you yeah, oh no me never let's just tell say us, that, tell us well i'll just say this um after what happened on set which i'm not really wanting to talk about the, people can watch the video on my youtube channel um i was invited to do a call with the vice president of social for paramount and mtv networks and um, or in TV entertainment. And so I get on the call and it was nothing but gaslighting about what had happened to me on set and also chastising me about the fact that I report stuff that I find out that I don't think is spoilers before they do. She looked at me in the face and with the most serious tone says, well, we didn't release the information about Tyler Hecklin until yesterday. And I said, I know. And yet I had it back in February. So, yeah, well, we just didn't think that should be out there. I said, well, I don't work for you. (laughs) You can, I mean, you it can was, pay my bills and then you could tell me something like that. Yeah. You know what? I, I couldn't, I could, I, you know, I thought about my, you know, my mom, my dear elderly mother. She's like, we ought to ask her for a job. That's what you ought to do. You do so much work for that Teen Wolf show. You ought to ask her for a job. <laughs> and I, the mom I, voice, by the way. I don't think I can, I don't think I could work for them. I would, they would drive me insane because their stuff now, I mean, they've got the whole Castle Wolf pack. Why are they not leaking this stuff? Why are they not putting this stuff out there to get people excited about that show? Because it's going to start filming in like five days. And people should be excited 
to look forward to this thing. People should be jazzed. And if you want to do what they're trying to do, which is confuse Teen Wolf fans into watching this show, you need to start now. But they don't do that. And Hecklin, the fact that they didn't release Hecklin until the last day of production. What is wrong with them? It was this whole thing. And I know exactly what happened because I was there. And the entire call with the VP was gaslighting me that what I know happened didn't happen. That I was, you know, that I was not tossed off set and that there was no interference with the minions from Paramount Plus that were on set. The the fact that they added insult to injury by pretending they wanted to reconcile and create this um, symbiotic relationship, it was made it even more offensive to me. So that's just me. Well, sorry you went through that, man. Yeah. Yeah, it was terrible. It was awful. Was, but Jeff and I have never been closer. Well, there you go. Well, he probably <laughs> understood that too. <laughs> he, he felt so he felt so bad. I mean, he offered to pay for my trip. He did all this stuff. And I was like, no. I was like, that's not going to happen. This did not go well. It's not your fault. And we'll just keep going the way we've been going. So mm-hmm. how do you feel about the absence of the character of Styles? Styles' absence is going to be felt. It is, I mean, you can't, we haven't, we have experience with this already with 6A. And he's in that show. The show, basically 6A is all about him, Mm -hmm. but that wasn't enough because he wasn't there Mm -hmm. for most of it. And then 6B, when he wasn't there at all until the very end, it's people don't think it feels like Teen Wolf without Styles being there. That being said, this isn't Teen Wolf the series. This is Teen Wolf the movie, and it is a very different animal. The pacing is different. Uh, the humor is the same, um, and a lot of the characters are familiar, and yet they're 12 years older, 12 or 13 years older. So I think it's going to be felt, but I don't know that it's going to damage the enjoyment of the of the product because like I said, it's a different animal. It's a very different thing, but I miss styles. I wish, I wish, I wish Dylan had come back and I hate that he didn't. And it, it, that's me. That's my reaction to it. But I don't think it's going to damage my enjoyment of the movie. I think the movie's going to be awesome. Styles is what made me fall in love with the show. I mean, if he had not hung upside down from Scott's porch, (laughs) I don't know that I would be where I am right now because that scene and the fact that they let this very raw performance make it into the final edit made me think, okay, this show's got something. This show is doing something a little bit different because the humor's there. You've got this, this guy who's just being a genuine kid playing this part, and I want to see more. I want to see a lot more of this. And I don't know that if he had not been there, I would have had the same reaction. If somebody else had played that part, I don't think I would have had the same reaction. So Dylan O'Brien's very important to Teen Wolf, the entire franchise. But I don't know that he his absence hurts Teen Wolf the movie because there's so much more going on in that movie. Yeah. And I don't I, I don't expect a lot of people ask me about relationships in the movie. A lot of people ask me about um, if characters not being there like Theo and, and a couple other people is going to hurt the movie. I don't think there's going to be time. 
and Will, you know more about this than I do, Mr. Co-writer. Um, you, I don't think there's going to be time. This is an action movie. I mean, people notice that Scott only changes clothes once, and that's to put on a lacrosse uniform. And then he's right back in the clothes he was wearing before. So this is an action movie. It's happening fast. I don't know that there's a lot of time for smooching. I don't know that there's a lot of time for... There's always time for smooching, sir. I don't know. I'm serious. It's got to be one of those fast smooches with something exploding in the background. Because... Love them. Yeah. I mean, I think they're great. But I just... I don't think there's going to be a lot of relationship building in this. I just Mm -hmm. don't... I don't think there is. So I don't think there's going to be time to miss a lot of these people. I think we're going to look up and it's going to be, oh, my God, that was the story. It's over. When are they coming out with the next one? I think that's <laughs> going to be the reaction. Yeah. Well, when we were breaking the story, like one of the very first things I did, because there are two whiteboards on the wall that we put up and like on the big board had like the act breaks and all this. And then the other board was all the cast, all these characters that we'd had from the show. And we were like, how are we going to? How are we gonna do this? You know, and then it just kind of became like as we're breaking the stories, like who do we need? Like who is important to this particular story? And then if the movie's successful and, we, and there's another one, so we'll bring some more characters in. We can do this. We got God, we got so many characters, we can do multiple movies. I'm actually doing a video right now, and I don't know if you guys want to be a part of this, but and I don't know if you've noticed, but I tend to be a controversial figure among the fandom. A petty dictator was the last thing I, I had thrown at me because I will. I didn't I say let, petty. I just <laughs> said dictator. I, so. won't let, I won't let people put fan on on the wiki, and that's fine. I mean, there are plenty of other wikis out there where you can put all the fan on you want, but I try to keep keep, keep ours to be canon. So um, I'm controversial, but I'm doing a video right now trying to urge people because the only way we get these other two movies is if we get a bump. And Paramount subscriptions from this one. Mm-hmm. And it's been proven. It has been proven that that's the only metric that Paramount is looking at, is the bump in subscriptions. It's $4.99. The day the movie comes out, Teen Wolf Day, you go, you, you click on the free trial, you watch the movie, you've done your part. Because if we get a big enough bump on that first couple of days, we're going to get movie two and movie three. Mm-hmm. And that is because I guarantee you they'll green light them both at the same time. And I guarantee you they'll film them back to back and we'll have them in the coming years. I'm pitching that this week. I'm, I'm posting a video, I think tomorrow. So nice. 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 We'll definitely check it out. Yeah. Um, without giving any spoilers, what are you most excited to see in the movie? Um, honestly, I'm most excited to see the very first scene. Um, which I think is the first scene. I could be wrong. Like you said, things could have changed, but I believe it's the very first scene because it's the scene that Jeff read to me first. So mm-hmm. I assume that that's the first scene because I think it's it's beautiful. It takes place in a different place. It's not in Beacon Hills. It's it's very moody and very um, action oriented, and it does a lot of little callbacks to the series without doing a nostalgia trip. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm really looking forward to that opening scene. I'm also really looking forward to seeing, and I mentioned this earlier, they pair off quite a bit because like you said, you guys had 15 uh, named actors or more, maybe 18, that you had to fit into these scenes. And 
So they had to break them up into little groups. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking forward to some of the dynamics because Parrish and Malia, I don't remember them working together that much, but they were working together when I was watching filming. Did they work together at all in the series? Don't. Uh, Maybe in a big fight scene where there's so many people fighting and all that stuff. But I mean, that's not really working together, I guess. Yeah, I mean, like we we saw a lot of Parrish and uh, Lydia. Mm -hmm. We saw a lot of Malia and Derek in in season four when Derek was losing his powers. We had that wonderful episode where he was being like, you know, Uncle Derek. Um, And so, yeah, I'm looking forward to these new combinations of people. I'm really looking forward to like, you know, Malia and, 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 and Parrish doing their thing. I'm looking forward to seeing Scott and how he interacts with Eli. We kind of touched on this already, but just to make it really pointed, if Teen Wolf were to continue in some form after this movie, what form would you like to see it take? And what kinds of characters or stories would you like to see it explore further? Okay. Logistically, I have been told with absolute certainty that a series is out of the question um, because uh, this was this was during the whole MGM Amazon's buying MGM thing, and I get that they're competitors, and that's one of the reasons. But I was told that the price for a new series was just way too high, and they couldn't. There, there's no way to make it work. You mean for the Paramount, like Paramount making it, because Amazon owns those rights now. Right, right, and Amazon can't make it without Paramount because Paramount owns the specifics of the Jeff Davis universe. Mm-hmm. MGM owns Teen Wolf and part of that universe, but it's 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 jointly owned. These two mm-hmm. entities have complete control and they're 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 competitors. So there's no way uh, MGM said MGM quoted them a price for doing a whole new series, but it was just exorbitant. It was crazy. There was no way to make it work. So um that's when we got the movie because Chris McCarthy is a real champion for, for Teen Wolf. So Chris McCarthy went in there and he was like, I want one movie, but I want three movies. And MGM's like, well, you know, Amazon hasn't taken over yet. Jeff Bezos hasn't fired us yet. Go ahead. <laughs> He's still in space. Movies. Yeah. So. Go ahead. Make your three movies. So um, we're getting, we're, I, I honestly believe we can get the three movies. So that's exciting. As far as the stories, I want to be completely surprised. And I'm not one of these people who's going to be hurt if not everybody comes back for the second movie. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like if they wanted to focus the second movie on, say, Theo and the difficulty being a reformed chimera person, I would not be upset by that even if we didn't see a lot of the other people, that wouldn't mm-hmm. bother me. I don't mind that they're not recycling the, you know, or, you know, the further adventures of the same exact group. So that mm-hmm. doesn't bother me. Um, but, and what's funny is I trust the group that came up with this script because it is so mind blowing that if they come up with additional scripts, it'll be just as good no matter what they do. So I don't have in my head an idea so much for the next two movies. However, I do have an anthology series, which I may have pitched to y'all already. I don't remember if I pitched it or not, but I think they should do an anthology series. Just call it Beacon Hills. Um, And the first season would be set in Beacon Hills in the 60s and in France 
during the whole Jean Marie and the beast thing, mm-hmm. because there's that whole period of time where she's hunting him and it could, I would love to see him at the, the French Royal court and werewolves at the French Royal court, I think would be hilarious. And at the same time, you've got a parallel story going on with Gerard's very elderly Argent grandmother who doesn't like the fact that the werewolves and the hunters are making peace and wants to stir up trouble and has a teenage Gerard to do it for her. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that I think that would be a very cool season one. Season two, I wanted to set it in the 80s and then uh, in the 70s or wait, maybe later in the 60s. I don't remember what the the the. B story in that season was, but the A story was Hale House, and you have the new Alpha, uh, Talia, mm-hmm. taking over the family after some tragedy and conflict between Gerard, who has returned because at the end of season one, he got banished from Beacon Hills for something he did. And in season two, he returns in the 80s, much later with kids. You have little um, Chris and little Kate. And you have that whole, you have that whole dynamic of hunter, werewolf, uh, you know, uneasy relationships going on. Um, So that's one of them. And then there's a second plot, which I can't remember off the top of my head. But anyway, season three was set in the 70s. We go back and we see what Gerard was doing in the 70s, in which case he was a gun for hire for the um, Asian mafia or the Chinese mafia in San Francisco in the seventies with big hair and disco and platform shoes and all this stuff and a big nice. beard, big bearded Gerard. And he and um, his, uh, his, his cousin uh, Alexander. So yeah, it's, it's the season three is, is set in the seventies and it's Alexander and Gerard like kicking all these new supernatural creatures ass in San Francisco in the seventies. Interesting. And then, there's a political thing that goes on anyway, because I think honestly, my, my thing about the Teen Wolf universe, <clears throat> and this is where I differ from a lot of fans, because a lot of fans are fans of the characters. <laughs> and I am too. I love the characters. I love what they do, but there's so much more there. And mm-hmm. it's such a deep and, 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 you know, fertile ground for, storytelling it's a big universe you could do a yeah, lot I, I like your made of jevedon uh uh stuff because i'd love to see like that kind of be like that movie um in the company of wolves yeah. uh that neil jordan gothic werewolf story it's like yeah, yeah. we need more of that well <laughs> and know? of course my thought was the girl in the fireplace from doctor who my whole thing oh, was yeah. That was that was absolutely beautifully done. And I was like, can you imagine the 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 havoc that could be wreaked by a werewolf in the midst of all of that finery mm-hmm. and in the midst of all of those mores and and you know courtly um behavior that we see and not only like that, but the costumes. I mean, come on. Yeah. So, and I honestly, I think that kind of period thing would work. I think telling stories over decades like Fargo did in the first three seasons, mm. um, I think that works. And I think people would buy into it. And I'm not real sure how the rights would play. 
because I, I mean, yeah, I think I think there's an argument to be had that says if we don't mention Scott McCall and we don't mention Derek or and we don't mention, you know, if we don't mention these characters and we don't focus on this high school melange, can we have the rights to do something completely different and new? I think you could say, I mean, you could mention the Hales because they're not in the movie. You just right. can't oh, mention, yeah. you can't call it Teen Wolf and you, yeah, can't you can't mention anything from the movie, which is fine because nothing was taken from the movie except the word well, beacon Scott, and Scott's Styles. name and, well, Scott and Styles, but like, I mean, you wouldn't even and do. Coach. And, and Coach. And Coach. And Coach. Oddly enough. You know, so right. yeah, so the new, the, the new universe has no coaches at all. It's just characters, <laughs> it's just they, players on the field running around with like no. They coach themselves. Yeah, they just they coach themselves. Coach. No, yeah, I mean, I think there's a, a, a. I think there's a uh, arguing to be made that in that Paramount could do their own series that's just based on what came out of the TV show without just using the name Scott McCall, the name Styles Stolinski, and the words Teen Wolf. So I don't know. I don't know how that would sell, and I certainly don't think Jeff necessarily wants to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he liked the stories when I pitched it to him, but I don't think he wants to do yeah. it. Um. I think he enjoys Teen Wolf. He likes the universe. He likes the fans and he likes the cast, but I don't think he wants his life to be defined by Teen Wolf, mm-hmm. which is well, why I think he's doing such a really good job on these other two shows. Yeah. Well, when I pitched him two spinoffs, I was like, just take the money, bro. Just take the money. Let someone else take the money. Let someone else be the, the showrunner of these shows. You got too much on your plate. Just yeah. take the checks. Right. Well, Dolly Parton in this. Yeah, adventure. you're the you're Dolly Parton in this. Be Dolly Parton. Just take those checks. Let, be Dolly let someone Parton. else be the Dolly Parton. Yeah, let someone else sing those songs, baby. You get paid no matter what. <laughs> That's correct. So at least that was when I because I pitched him two spinoffs and I've got pitch decks for them. Maybe I'll send those to you. I'll, I'll please think on that. Please. But, um, and I was just like, just your name will be on it. You're gonna get like 40, Funnies. 50 grand per episode. We also contributed some ideas. Yeah, I definitely want to see your pitch decks. Okay. Definitely. And you guys can use any of that if you want to use any of my pitches because I've already published them on the internet. So cool. Everybody everybody knows that if they made them, I'd be cool because I just want to watch them. I don't care about (laughs) getting credit for it. I just Oh, don't say that. Oh, I don't. Don't don't say that ever to anybody. But well, especially in a recording. Jeff said that y'all, you know ended up using the timelines that were created by my side and, and a couple of others uh, in, in trying to set the stage for the movie. And I'm like, that's what they're there for. They're there for people who are writing fan fiction. They're yeah. there for people who are writing the next chapter in the thing. They're there as a record of what went before. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's what we want it to be used for. And to hear that it's done as research, it, it just, it, it was like, I've fulfilled my purpose. Yeah. Do you plan to be involved in Wolfpack fandom like you are with Teen Wolf? I started the Wolfpack Quickie. Um, I I felt that I owed it to Jeff um, to create something for this new project and promote this new project the same way I promoted Teen Wolf over the years. Um, and 
he has not let me down. Let me just say that. Everything I've read, everything I've seen, all the information that I have about that show, it's going to be brilliant and I can't wait. I'm big into the Wolfpack thing. I have a Twitter. I have I just started an Instagram for the Wolfpack thing. Um, so yeah, I'm in, I'm in whole hog for that. I could not be more excited for Wolfpack because I just think it's something really different. Mm-hmm. Do you have any upcoming videos that you'd like to hint at, tease? As far as stuff that's coming up, I'm doing the thing, um, encouraging people to sign up for Paramount Plus on the day the movie comes out because we need that bump. Um, and also I'm working on one, The Many Deaths of Scott McCall. So that'll be coming out uh, probably next week, nice. I think. Awesome. Cool. Very nice. Look forward to it. Yes. Uh, well, Paul, thank you once again for jumping on and, and talking all things Teen Wolf with us. We uh, have really appreciated this and this yes, has just been awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, we always enjoy talking to you. Well, I love talking to you guys too and I love the show and I'm, I'm so proud that you guys have been on for a year and keep going. And actually, I also like your little um, non-Teen Wolf stuff that you do. Oh, like the, the movie stuff, the movie cover. Oh, yeah. Oh. I, 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 I'm a fan of you guys, so I love to hear oh. you guys. Chat, so. And and I keep telling people, podcast is just radio. So you're my favorite radio show. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you very much. We like to hear it. Yes. So, thank you for listening. Awesome. We had a great time talking with Paul about his set visit on the Teen Wolf movie. But now it's time for spoilers. Okay. So I thought the Mount Ash circle bit with Morel was way cooler before we found out that's just how mountain ash works i know it really sucks the magic out of it kind of i mean i know that on a literal level it is magical and that's why it does that but in terms of just like the mystery of it and and how certain people are able to to cultivate this ability to wield it in really interesting ways it was so much more interesting when you had this idea that like morel was almost like casting a spell in yeah. creating this circle yeah. around herself. It was so much more interesting that way. Yeah. yeah, I like the idea of it being a progression. You know, you had someone like Styles who has a spark and, you know, with enough imagination and thought and focus, he's able to complete a circle. Then you get to Morel's level of experience with it and she could just throw it up and have it fall in a perfect circle around her and stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, that's the level of how if Styles had gone way of an emissary, he could be at that point down the yeah. line. Yeah. But then it's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, anyone can do that. It's just like, well, that's not very special, is it? Yeah, it's just magical right. connect four. So <laughs> that's, that's yeah. all it is. <laughs> it's yeah, it is. Really no skill involved, <laughs> unfortunately. So we can just touch on this briefly. I don't want to belabor the point after praising the connection between the scene in this episode and the scene in uh, season one with Lydia. But I feel like this episode despite Lydia not being in it super prominently, does mark a really significant point in her arc across the seasons of the show. Yeah. That not only does she know now that she's a banshee, but we saw when she made this decision that I'm going to stop fighting it and I'm going to try to learn how to use it. And then... In this episode, we have the scene at the vanity desk, which creates like a visual representation of how far she's come since season one. And I think we do see more more of Lydia becoming more Lydia. Like obviously the time has long since passed when she stopped pretending to be dumb. And that was an important first step 
in her evolution, but we definitely see something here where she is also kind of coming into her own understanding of what beauty is, Mm. what success is. You know, she had kind of shallow ideas of both of those things previously. And now the point isn't, do the bruises on my neck look good? The point is they represent something really significant, which is that I'm a survivor. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I feel like particularly like robbed of her being able to tell the others when she finally has the knowledge of what she is, because, you know, we have Styles telling her that she's something, her recognizing that and repeating it back to Jennifer. Frame, she told Styles, hey, I'm a banshee, it turns out, but we don't yeah. get to see that. And it does feel like often the characters, the other characters don't have time for Lydia's problems. And yeah. sometimes the writers don't either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unfortunately. But yeah, I I just feel really robbed of that because I am so proud of Lydia's character growth. Mm-hmm. And I would have, I feel like she's definitely earned that, like the to be the one to tell the others what she is. Yeah, despite Lydia kind of getting backburnered a lot of times, the bits and pieces that we do get kind of behind the screen of the central plot, they end up being some of the most compelling aspects of Teen Wolf across the seasons. Yeah. What was Peter's agenda this season? I know we're not fully at the end of the season, but I feel like, you know, we debate a lot here why he was hoping to get out of um, the Derek Cora transference of power. And then we get at the end of the season, he's the one that kills Jennifer before she can reach the Nemethon and he does the whole like, I've always been an alpha. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. I... Well, I think there's two things. So I think there's the moment he says, I've always been the alpha and then everything that came before it. And I think <laughs> everything that came before it, there's really nothing there. He's just doing things. I think the most generous interpretation would be he 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 reverse engineered convincing Derek to give up his alpha status so that he wouldn't be an alpha anymore because of course when peter says i've always been the alpha he wants to be an alpha again so he has to get another alpha out of the way but he can't just kill Derek. why i'm not exactly sure i was sure. just going to say that because i if, if Derek gives up his power by healing cora the his alpha spark goes no gone yeah yeah he's gone. It, i don't know and that's that's the thing is is peter saying i've always been the alpha uh, at the end of the season, it, I think, I don't remember this, but I would say that was just a way to be like, he's still a threat. You know, that he's he's kind of a douche this season, but he's not really a threat to anyone. He's just kind of, mm-hmm. oh, the bad guy's the good guy now type of thing. And then I think at the end of the season, when he when he kills Jennifer and says the line, I think that's supposed to be like, moving forward, you need to remember he's a bad guy he's he's a threat at all times type of thing and that's all i i think that's all it is because he doesn't really do anything for the rest of the season except convince i'm saying convince because i think you know i think whenever peter says you should totally not do a thing i think you should not do that thing but only because it's going to help him in some way you know that anytime dare or uh, uh, peter is like anytime he says you should or should not do a thing it's because he thinks it's going to work out in his favor and so you should just never talk to him ever. Yeah, but it, it feels like they're like dominoes being set up. They didn't really fall down this season, at least. 
and or yeah, next just, season or next yeah, it doesn't come I, back it doesn't come back for a while <laughs> yeah you know? i feel like he's just like lurking in the background it's like in season two he's just kind of like hiding in the shadows kind of waiting to see what's going to happen with the jackson thing and everything you know mm-hmm. like he's not like getting in on the fight to like the very end when he knows he can win it yeah i feel like that's what's happening like he's just waiting to see where it's going and then when he can jump in to know he can most like profit from the situation yeah i don't think you can pin anything down on peter he's just kind of wafting in the background like a v-neck on the wind (laughs) so i don't think he really has an agenda because you're right it's if he is convincing Derek subtly roundabout way-ish to give up his alpha spark it doesn't change anything like there's no new status quo it's just hey a person had a thing now they don't have a thing this it doesn't, doesn't benefit him. It doesn't benefit, it doesn't positively or negatively do anything to the surrounding universe. So yeah, I don't really think there was an agenda, unfortunately. I wish there was. I w- It would be nice if, you know, having the luxury of being able to write out an entire story and then be able to go back when you have, it's like, oh, I have an idea while we're working in season four. Okay, let's go back to the previous season and start just putting in little, baby hints and touches of things because I, I it would be fun if you could look back over the remainder uh, it, it, by the end of the series you can look back on Peter and be like he's been building this the entire time I never thought of Peter as a good guy oh yeah me in either. the entirety of the show yeah, there was either. never Same. a point where I was like it's interesting to me when I hear other fans and everyone's entitled to their own opinion and interpretation but yeah. it is really interesting for me when I hear other Teen Wolf fans saying like oh I'm always so interested in what Peter's doing because you can never really tell whose side he's on and I'm like he's on Peter's side he's never right. been on anyone else's side yeah yeah there's ne- there was never a moment where I was like oh is he like reformed is he a good guy I never one time had that thought because we know everything we need to know to make a determination on Peter's capacity for moral judgment. He's what you say all the time, Katie. It's it's right there on the tin. He is, he is whatever benefits him. He will do that. That's, that's it. He's not one dimensional, but he's, he is singularly focused and he's focused on himself. Yeah. You know, and so that's just it. Cause you're right. No, it's, 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 I've never been having worked on the show, but not, not even having worked on the show, just hearing people be like, you don't know. He's like a slippery snake. And it's like, no, he's not. He's really he was not. always honest. He is always honest about things. You know, you just have to kind of pay attention to what he's saying. Yeah. It's so. the whole, when someone tells you who they are, believe them. Like, yeah. Yeah. He's, it, I just feel and, like I can change him, guys. I just feel like I can change him. <laughs> well, I mean, it, you can almost make the comparison with Deucalion in this episode where Scott is like, would you kill innocent people? And Deucalion says, I would kill any living thing that got in my way. Yeah. And in a way, you have to have a just a little bit of begrudging respect for the honesty. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, it 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 makes because it that that's what makes them more dangerous. Where it's just like, right. I don't have to hide from you. I'm not going, I'm not Patrick Batemaning this, okay? <laughs> I am just Jason Voorheesing this into your face. <laughs> right. And I would say that Ducalian, Peter, and Kate are in kind of, and Gerard, are in kind of a class of villains that are completely consumed in their villainy. Mm-hmm. 
But I would say what separates Kate from the others would be that she would sometimes do evil things that don't even personally benefit her. Oh, yeah. But because she's entertained by it. Peter, to me, that is not Peter. Mm -hmm. Kate, that was kind of her primary thing. Peter dabbles in that, but his main focus all the time is just how does this benefit me? If if there's an opportunity to do something evil that he can't get anything out of, he's not going to go out of his way to do it. Yeah, that's really Deucalion and Peter, where they're just like, how does this benefit me? And Gerard. I I think Gerard, yes, because of the cancer thing, but I do believe Gerard thinks he's doing what's right for the human race. That he's like, Mm. genocide is the right thing to protect people from monsters. Unless I'm dying, in which case. Right, unless, yes, exactly. Everyone's, you know. In which um, case, everyone forever. Exactly. And Kate is just like, wonder what would happen if I did a thing. That thing is stabbing a baby in the face. That's that yeah. thing. But she's just like, I don't know, it would be interesting. Let's let's find yeah, let's out. Let's find out. You yeah. know, and because like because you're right, she does things that don't, she has done things that don't benefit her. But she's just like, but it's interesting to find out, yeah. you know, type mm-hmm. of thing. So it's, you know, which I think makes her the scariest uh, of yeah. them all. Cause it's just uh, I don't know what happens when you pull the wings off a of fly. I don't know. Let's find out. Let's just see what happens. Because yeah. everyone else, you can kind of be like, I could probably talk to them. I might, I'm probably going to lose, but at least I have a way to negotiate. Right. Like if I can convince you that not killing me is going to benefit you in some way. Like if I have some piece of information that would be of value to you, I'll be like, hey, guess what? I have this piece of information that is valuable to you. And I don't think I'll be killed if I'm able to make my case for that. With Kate, it'd be like, she would be weighing it. She'd be like, I see the value, but also... She's like, I'll take my chances. It would be hilarious (laughs) just to shoot you in the face. And I feel like the hilarity is is strong enough that I don't give a shit about what you know. I'll figure it out. Bye. Yeah. So circling back around, I don't, there's really not much of an agenda for Peter. He doesn't really want anything, unfortunately, because I feel like you can, you can say he's biding his time, but I feel like you have to know they're biding their time. Right. Otherwise that doesn't create any tension if, if (laughs) if it's not clear. Yeah. Cause I, and I, I've mentioned before, I'm a big fan of mention a thing once and never bring it back. But then it's just like, but it's there, you know, again, I, I think Peter could have been that, where it's kind of like, oh, he's reformed, he's helping us, and the whole time he's just slowly building something else. Yeah, which I, I almost think in a way it would have been more effective if they had put more effort into him feeling like he's team good guy. Oh, yeah. Because he's yeah. really not trying to, he's, it doesn't he's, feel yeah. like he's trying to convince anybody that he's team good guy in this, in this season. Yeah. And I feel like maybe if he were, you would be there would be more tension there. Like maybe, for example, just mm-hmm. to, to throw it and, and to keep it subtle and not have any like grandiose speeches or anything. But in the episode, in Visionary, when Gerard says something to the effect of someone who is clever and wants to harm you will become your friend first. Yeah. And then it cuts to Peter. With a whole doing bunch of something, for people. Yeah, do, do, <laughs> doing something to help the group. Phoenix for everyone. And that's it. That alone, I feel like would give you that sense of, oh, he's building something. He's creating a foundation for something that is not going to end 
well for anyone who's not Peter. But we don't even get anything like that. And he honestly doesn't put any effort into making the others believe that he's really on their side. They're always kind of like, Mm -hmm. yeah, we hate Peter, but also we tried killing him and it didn't take. So it's kind of, what are our options at this point, right? Yeah. So it it never feels like he's actually trying to convince them, oh, I'm reformed. That might've worked better if he had been like, look, all I wanted was to survive and to kill Kate. And now I've done both of those things. I've killed Kate and I've gotten to a point where I can survive. You know, I had to kill Laura because otherwise I couldn't get past the plateau in my healing and like live a full life. So I did that and it was awful and I get why you hate me, but I don't have any reason to work against you anymore. I'm totally willing to help you out now because I have the thing that I want, which is was revenge and survival. Yeah. And we yeah. could see the characters kind of struggling with that. Like, do we believe him? But also we need all the help we can get, blah, blah, blah. But he really doesn't attempt to convince anybody of anything. They're all just yeah. kind of like, Peter, we hate you. And he's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so. Felt. <laughs> <laughs> on the subject of like long-term planning, which we touched on a little bit there, talking about Peter. Do you think this is the point whenever Jeff realized he was going to bring the character bring back because she actually gets a name here? She's not just the girl any longer. Right. I don't remember 100%, but I'm going to say no. Because I remember breaking the scene in season four when Derek and Peter with the Calaveras and Peter gets his finger cut off and all that. And they're trying to figure out how to escape. And then the shootout happens upstairs and all the shell casings come through the floorboards and then Braden comes in. Because I remember breaking that scene and then either Jeff saying or someone suggesting, what if we, what if it's Braden? So I, I don't remember that fully as far as the end of 3A goes, but I do remember breaking that scene in in 402, I think, and it being a fun idea that, oh, well, what if it's the girl from 3A? And uh, yeah. So I think to answer your question, no, he wasn't thinking about it that long term. Why do you think he waits so long in the season to give her a name? We didn't really do much with her after the first episode. Like she's only brought up once or She's brought up like a couple times about like, you know, them killing her. True, but I, but, but I think the only person who would know her name was Morel, was and they were wait, they were waiting to That's make true. that a reveal. Like reveal. Yeah, I think the problem is that at that point the reveal is like okay. Yeah, it it came too late. <laughs> We've had so many re- important reveals, and then the fact that oh she's the one that sent them is like sent Brayden is like nothing. Exactly, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't rate on the on the Richter scale of reveals anymore. Yeah, and the reason it doesn't work as a reveal is because we Morel has already helped our heroes in this season. So then for it to be revealed that she also helped them another time isn't a reveal because she's just doing the same thing. It'd be right. different if the whole season she's been antagonistic towards them and you're like, she's a f- bad guy. And then at the end, or and then in this episode, she's like, well, I hired the mercenary to come get you. And you're like, what? You were a good guy all along? And she's like, well, I don't know, maybe, you know, type <laughs> of thing. So, but well, I, it- I, I think that's kind of the other thing is even with this piece of information, I'm still like, I don't have a clear handle on what you're doing. Yes. Yeah, even with anything. this information. So if we had a very clear want for her and then the revelation about Brayden played into that, I think it would have 
more resonance because it would have greater significance than just remember that question that we asked like episodes ago and hasn't really come up since this is the answer yeah yeah it just doesn't it doesn't matter because it's information we already have which is morel has kind of been helping our friends and it but also not well but also yeah enough. but but not well enough you know and then it just it doesn't play into anything so it doesn't, right. it doesn't matter. The answer doesn't matter. You could have not answered it for the rest of the season and no, it the season would not have been any worse off. So, right. From the moment his father's taken, throughout pretty much the rest of the series, like Styles is not the happy guy that we see in season one too. Like even with like all their shit they're going through, he has a decent amount of like lightness about him. Like, you know, he's the one that's there as the comedic relief he's there to help scott he's sidekick and then it's just like shit gets dark for styles and he doesn't ever feel i feel like return to who he was at the start of the show a lot of that was dylan that after after the darkness of 3b and him really being an acting tour de force in that season he didn't want to go back to goofy anymore so I mean I think it's fair I don't think it would make sense for him as a character no you're to right back I, to that yeah from this moment onward of the sheriff being taken I don't feel like Styles ever recovers but that makes sense because we're being told here like you know they're getting like this tattoo this darkness that they're going to carry for the rest of their lives now unfortunately Allison's life is cut very short though I was thinking is she going to come back with that darkness when they bring her back in the movie or does it kind of like reset with the whole being dead and then resurrected however they're gonna do it like she no longer has to have that burden that darkness because it's been cleansed i don't know yeah no comment yeah and i think styles is the last of the main characters to hit the dark Mm. because all the characters are kind of light and goofy to start with Mm -hmm. i mean even like Think about the Allison who, you know, made jokes about think about me naked when you're rolling your bowling ball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like, the yeah. Allison who's like, Styles, I think you mean bestiality. <laughs> like, yeah. The, yeah, these moments are not the kind of moments we ever see with Allison again. Yeah. Yeah. But Styles for a long time in the show kind of floats above the darkness a little bit. Yeah. Right. I mean, I feel like it's because the worst thing that's ever happened to him happened before the start already. Yeah. And then, I mean, he does realize things can get worse for him. Right. Unfortunately, and they do. But Mm -hmm. he's already lost a parent. He's already had, like, what he feels like is the worst thing ever. Yeah. And and retained this, like, buoyancy and this lightness still. And... The other, I mean, Derek hit the dark six years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And has been there ever since. I feel like Scott, we kind of see him hit the dark when he sees Melissa's life. Well, first, Melissa finding out that he's a werewolf and her reaction being upset. Not great. And then, you know, when the supernatural world threatens her life and then that culminates in the suicide attempt of motel california yeah Mm -hmm. and even through that i mean styles obviously takes it very seriously and takes a very serious step to 
demonstrate solidarity with Scott, but there's still a little bit of buoyancy left to him. He doesn't really hit the dark until now. Yeah. Yep. And so I, I feel like his descent feels more stark and dramatic than the others because he had gone so far into the show without losing that lightness. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a turning point in the whole show. I mean, Styles is part of the beating heart of the show. And when he finally kind of succumbs, not gives up, but succumbs to the dark for the first time, we really feel it as an audience. Like this is a turning point in the story. Yeah. That concludes this week's episode of Return to Beacon Hills. We hope you had as much fun listening as we did talking about all things Teen Wolf. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH Podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at returntobeaconhills at gmail.com. Join us here next week when we discuss Season 3, Episode 12, Lunar Ellipse. Rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast goodness. Five-star reviews get a shout out. Have a great week and we'll see you again soon on Return to Beacon Hills. Dude, it's speaking heels.